And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The Kellen and Alex Show. John Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you, Kellen. It's good to be here. And you're very unique in that... You actually do listen to the Kellen Alex yes, show yes, on I occasion. Do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Which actually, uh, every time you put one out, because the nice. job that I work right now, it's just warehouse work, so I can actually just throw my AirPods in and just listen to podcasts. There you That's go. Dope. That's good. Yeah. That's a good way to do it. So, uh, are you in grad theology now? Yes. Okay. Grad theology. Cool. I'm as well. Nice. Great. Yes. I, we were in the Cyrillic uh, class together. I dropped out of that. Oh, right. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. How's that going, by the way? As esoteric as it was at the beginning. <laughs> so you have like no clue what's going on. It's, yeah, I mean, yeah. I come to the class, it gets right into the weeds, and then I lose what's going on. So the class yeah. is... It's, uh, yeah. I mean, what do you mean right into the weeds? You have, oh, like, I have no idea. Oh, come on. Okay, so yeah. you know how there's certain philosophy majors that like, it's like, so Thomas Aquinas mentions this one thing in Summa Theology, I'm a Segunda Segundae, this this article, this, how does this compare to what you're talking about right now? So there's like five <laughs> of those guys oh, in that yes. class. Gosh, it's hilarious. Dude. It's hilarious. I mean, they're really smart and intelligent. Oh, yeah. But, like, at the but same like, time, it's please, like, yeah. I can't keep up. It's not as much, you know, what I'm interested at the moment. So, yeah. does it? Does the professor like Doctor Shirilla? Does he expect you to understand everything that he's saying? Because like, we're not doctorate. We don't have doctorates. Like, does he expect you to understand doctorate level stuff when he's speaking it? Okay. So here's the thing with Doctor Shirilla. All right. So he was trained at CUA, Catholic University of America. Their program is like renowned for it's like, okay, you write a paper, you don't have to revise it. Don't have to revise it. Meaning that it's like, okay, I'm gonna write down and every every critique, every conflict, every everything is dealt with. You see it from every angle. So if he says something, okay, so he makes a point and says, but this, but this, but this, it's like but the summa. this. But. It's like exactly. He's a walking exactly. Summa. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it never ends. So he Gosh. makes one point, and then for like 20 minutes, when he lectures, by the way, because it's more like discussion. Discussion based? Yeah, a little bit. Um, like he goes into it from every single angle. So it's like, okay, dude, I just wanted, just give me something true for a hot second. Just oh give me something that I, this so, is my second grad class. I'm right. Uh, did, you, did you graduate last year? This yes. is your first grad theology year? Okay, yes. cool. Yes, my yeah. first grad semester. Like this is the first time We I all went. entered school at the same time, right? Yes. Because you yeah. were already just second year, but we, we when transferred. Did you, when did you graduate high school? 2016? Uh, no, 17. 2017. Yeah. So, so we graduated 2016. Well, I graduated in 2016. So wait, 16. Yeah. Did you cool. graduate last year? Did you yeah, graduate? I graduated last year. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I guess that adds up. The reason I bring it up. Yeah. In the early Veritas days, oh I used God. to describe John Mark as whatever position I hold, John Mark holds the opposite. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's so uh, very true. It's very it true. wasn't intentional. It yeah, wasn't no, intentional. There's, there's, there's that disagreement there. Yeah. yeah. No, it was very true. Like when you brought up. Medjugorje, traditionalism, Vatican II. That's right. Everyone. Every point. And I'm like, dude, why are you hitting everyone that pisses me off? You you think that Medjugorje is a a fraud, right? I have no idea anymore. I I don't know. I remember you saying that. Yeah. No, I've said so much crazy. One of my favorite memories was a very toss like. 
was it the just the associates debate? Yes. All right, yeah. and you're you're up there presenting, and then you say something on Medjugorje, and I'm the only one there that actually believes in Medjugorje and holds it and like, yes, my family's been going there for 40 years. My mama snuck into the country while it was a communist regime oh to go. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, hardcore. And then you're like, it's a demonic apparition. Yeah, that's, oh right. that's what you said, demonic yes, apparition. And that's like, what you said. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just oh, serious. No. Like, you're saying this to my face. I appreciate it. And then I shook your hand, remember? <laughs> <laughs> I remember you saying that demonic apparition. Yo, it was so funny. It was so fun. I was not in a good headspace. <laughs> Dude, yeah, you were a traditionalist at the time. <laughs> I was, see, a lot of people don't remember, well, because my group oh, of, like, Veritas friends all went to, like, Austria. So I didn't yeah, have yeah. them to, like, temper me out, like, yeah, yeah. you're being an idiot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I remember. No. Like, you're the reason I'm not a traditionalist, actually. <laughs> I'm serious. Dude, I'm serious. I, I'm actually, like, glad, because I don't consider yeah. myself a traditionalist anymore. I know. So. Neither do I. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's go. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I can see why. I mean, yeah. It, Four? Okay, let's go to the Medjugorje stuff. Mm, mm. So your, your family's been going there 40 years, you said? 40 years. So the apparitions have been happening around like 50 years or so. 45, 50 years, something like that. And as soon as it was made international, like, oh, the border, people are allowed to visit Yugoslavia. My grandmother hears about it. My grandmother was not a super practicing Catholic at the time. My grandparents, like, they're Cuban, so they're Catholic, baptized, confirmed. They go to on um, a Sunday mass and everything. Mm. But they come late, they leave early. Like, we do these things, so but not super devout. She hears about Medjugorje, and it's like, let's go. And so they go. My grandmother, my grandfather, my mama, my aunt. And actually, I think their whole family just went. And so they go, and having, like full rock your world experiences like oh shoot we got to take our faith seriously Damn. yeah so my grandmother started leading pilgrimages like that's what she did wow my grandfather was a um a engineer so he would like work on the space shuttle and roller coasters and all the bridges and all that fun stuff but my grandmother with all the money that he was making he's like yeah we're gonna lead pilgrimages all over the world to yeah wow. that's dope. yeah yeah so, so Go ahead. So a a certain site has to be confirmed, right, by the Vatican? Isn't yeah, that how of that course. works? Of course. So is the is the drama that Medjugorje hasn't been confirmed? It's ongoing. It's not done. So how long is so that's the reason why that's why it's so it's con- a demonic apparition. <laughs> that's <laughs> a, that's the reason a lot of people think it's a demonic apparition because it hasn't been so it's been abnormally long. Yeah. So it's weird. But there has to be a reason for that. Oh, for sure. So basically, the uh, demonic. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pinch you straight right here. Hang up right here. Oh, no, skin no, you no, alive. No, no. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Okay. So basically, what happened is is that for some reason, Our Lady appeared to these little peasant children in Bosnia Herzegovina during the midst of a communist regime and started to say, "Hey, pray the rosary, go to confession, on the receive the Eucharist." start fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays, do all these things um, and tell a few people about this and everything. But I'm going to make you promises as time goes on. I'm going to tell you secrets. All right. So this is going to happen. Once it happens, you can let people know that I told you about this and I have it written down. Like they had them write it down and give it to a priest. So like it's in a safe and it's Mm. there. Like they can't change it. Um, But once the last secret is like comes to fruition, that's when things are going to stop. And then, yeah, so that's the weird thing 
is that, okay, this is an elongated situation. You know, in the eyes of Our Lady, I guess that's a good idea. I don't know. Causing a lot of confusion for sure. Um, but at the same time, y'all haven't been to Medjugorje. So, I've been close. I've been to Bosnia Herzegovina. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was like 100 miles away or something. Wait, why were you in Bosnia? There's nothing there. So we went on a... In high school, we went on a choir trip because we okay. did choir trips to Europe. Yeah, we went yeah, to Croatia, yeah. Serbia, and Bosnia Herzegovina. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So you hit Split, Dubrovnik, and everything? Yeah. Yeah, beautiful cities. Oh, gosh. That might have been the most beautiful city I've ever seen. Yeah, Dubrovnik is for sure. We walked on the wall. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Dude, Holy cow. Italy has nothing on it. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Really? Yeah, because it's not it's super... It's insane. It's gorgeous. Like, it's truly it's gorgeous. It's the most blue water I think I've ever seen. Really? Okay. <laughs> I've seen bluer, but it was only in Cuba, so... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it's being elongated. It's being elongated, just Our Lady says so. That's literally it. Like, so it's still going on. There's certain of the visionaries. I think there's like five of them or something. I don't have a whole lot of the specifics because I'm an idiot. But one of, I think three of them still see Our Lady like once a year. Like she shows up and prays the rosary with them and that's it. She doesn't say anything. And if she does, it's like little things. It's like, why this extent to, I mean, I'm sure not just you, but people have said, oh, it's oh yeah, 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 yeah. So why go that far? Because there's, that's, that's yeah. the only option, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, so it's either that it's a fraud, meaning these, um, these little peasant children made it up, or it's... Um, so that's a, that would be if it's a natural thing. If it's supernatural, it's either supernatural or um, subnatural. Like, it's either angelic or a demonic. It's either from heaven or hell. Um, and the thing is, is that right now, the church has said definitively, definitively that it's not natural. <laughs> Like we so can it's tell, supernatural. it's definitely supernatural. So it's either from heaven or from hell. Okay. Um, now, people who believe in Medjugorje and know Medjugorje and who are close to it, it's like, yeah, no, this is obviously Our Lady. There's no question. Like it's obvious. You can like, it's palpable there. Um, people who are very critical of it are like, no, ob- if it's not natural, it's definitely demonic because this has never happened before. A, these messages are really weird. Like there's some of them are like straight up. It's like, just just love each other. Like there's nothing special. There's nothing new about it. Mm. Just pray the rosary, go to confession, mm. receive the Eucharist fast on Wednesdays and Fridays, which is actually what the early church would do. Uh, we always fast on Fridays, but the early church would fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. <clears throat> so it's like nothing new. Um, and then there were a bunch of, where the controversy started to come into is apart from the fact that it's so long is that a lot of the visionaries, as they got older, they weren't saints. <laughs> So that's the thing. Like we think of visionaries as like, oh, I'm a Saint Lucia or Jacinta Francisco, or you have a Saint Bernadette, or you have Saint Mary, uh, Margaret Mary Alacoque, or all these uh, fun folks. But we never hear about visionaries not being saints, hmm. um, except for one apparition of Our Lord in um, France. Or the person was literally just like kicked out of the church afterwards. Hmm. But the apparition was confirmed. Like it wasn't an apparition of our Lord, hmm. but the person was kicked out of the church. And that hasn't happened in a long time. <clears throat> so the visionaries, they're not all saints. Some of them are like living saints. They're incredibly good people. But one of them, the guy, I can't remember his name. He made a lot of money off of it. Off of he, the apparitions itself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like he, was he one of the visionaries? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't remember his name for the life of me. Really bad with names and dates and and everything it seems to me that 
all the apparitions that I've heard these days is are from Mary. Like yeah. I've never really heard of a Jesus apparition. Yeah. Like, you know, it seems like we are. Yeah. Okay, you mean the sacred heart? Yeah. 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 So it's like, yeah, I don't know. I just hear about Mary appearing. Everywhere, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Jesus, you know? Yeah. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, name me one apparition that, you know, when Jesus came somewhere. Divine mercy. Okay. Divine sacred mercy. Heart. So Faustina, <laughs> sacred heart. Okay. Um, yeah. But it seems like it's there's happened, like but it's not as Gloria Fatima, Guadalupe, uh, Guadalupe Lord. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so maybe these will be not. These aren't objections. It should be yeah, clarifying. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Um, well, okay. A number of them that I just have in my. So memory. when we talk about apparition, <laughs> memory. Yeah. From yeah. Memory. <laughs> but when there's an apparition, mm-hmm. there's usually you can point to it and say Mary appeared here. For the purpose of yes, so Our Lady of Guadalupe appearing yes. for the purpose of yes, having the church be built yes. there and this blessing on all the Americans yes, all of the Americas rather yeah, um, and then you have like Lords, which is revealing mm-hmm. her as immaculate conception mm-hmm. and giving this you know extraordinary yeah. graces there yeah, Fatima particularly consecrate Russia to my immaculate yes. heart and do yes. penance for souls yes, and um, all of them have like a you can just put. Mary appeared here for the purpose to show us this revealing. This. Yeah. Um, what would you say that'd be for Medjugorje? Or would you say, yeah. like, it doesn't fit that particularly? Okay, so a couple of things. First off, I can say one thing, but at the same time, it's ongoing, so don't completely yeah. know. Um, but she comes under the title of Our Lady, Queen of Peace. Mm. Now, you have to remember that at the time when she first appeared, Yugoslavia was in the ripe... It was just after the um, a communist regime was like solidified and then right before the civil war that broke it up so yugoslavia is now seven countries including like croatia um bosnia herzegovina slovenia montenegro and a few others um so the fact of the matter is is that she was telling the catholics like don't get involved in these conflicts don't do it your children are going to die yeah stop it now and that's what happened all the croats which were the catholics like the Catholic regional people of Yugoslavia, all the ones that got involved in all in the conflicts, they all died. Oh, the ones who man. didn't are alive, thriving, huge families, enormous devotion. Wow. They re- can they know their tradition, they know their history. Wow. They love Our Lady. El Gospa awesome. is like everything to them. Wow. Um, if you're not a practicing Catholic and a Croat, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's obscene. But at the same time, what's I was talking to my, not my spiritual director, but my dad's old spiritual director, and he was saying that in Italy right now, the only Marian apparition, the only Marian devotions that occur, that are in Italy right now are all to Our Lady of Queen of Peace in Medjugorje. Really? It's just like wow. growing exponentially on the coast mm-hmm. because all the Italians go over and they have, all the Italian grandmas go over and they go mm-hmm. on pilgrimage and everything, see all this, this is wonderful, go back and they just convert their whole families. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. So yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, taking like Guadalupe or Fatima or yeah. these others, yeah, like yeah. Um, it seems like Fatima's particular in that mm. it was for the Universal Church, yeah. you know, but appearing to the children yes. in Portugal. Yes. Um, you know, you have so, but it it would make yeah. sense if she's appearing in Medjugorje. Um, it's during this big. It's for them. It's for them. Now, what would you say then is Mary's mission? Uh, let's say um, through. The particular for the particular people there, which you know, like Our Lady yeah. of Knock, 
or A yes. Lady of Loving in Vietnam, yeah. or yeah, like yeah. all the other apparitions of, you know, in, uh, Akita. Yeah. Um, those are for the particular yeah. peoples there yeah, yeah, for yeah, a particular yeah. purpose. Is there also like a broader, would that be the Queen of Peace yeah, title? Yeah, yeah. So, you know how uh, Mother Teresa used to say that if you want peace in the world, you need peace in your nation. You want peace in your nation. You need peace in your community. You want peace in community. Peace in your family. Mm-hmm. So love your your family. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's actually very much the message of Medjugorje. It's like you love your family. You focus on your family. You love them as best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, now comparing that to say Guadalupe. So in a Guadalupe, it's for the Mexicans. It's for the Hispanics. It's for the the indigenous populations. For the mestizos. For the Spaniards that are there. Yep. But in Florida, we have a huge devotion to the Dave Guadalupe. In California, we do. Mm-hmm. In Wisconsin, there's a huge devotion to our Lady <laughs> yeah, Guadalupe. And really? they have their own mar- apparition. It's like, what? Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Cardinal yeah. Burke had this huge mosaic made of our Lady of Guadalupe. That's awesome. But it wasn't for them. Yeah, right. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that the rest of the world can't love our Lady of Guadalupe. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I would say yeah. the same thing with our Lady Queen of Peace. <clears throat> so the apparition <clears throat> is for that region. So it's for Medjugorje, it's for Bosnia, it's for old Yugoslavia and like the Italian, the Adriatic area. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I would say that. That's a personal opinion. Of course, a lot of people disagree with me. Um, but I think it's very good that other people have devotions to Our Lady Queen of Peace as well. Well, if people go in to Medjugorje and they come out converted, exactly. how, how can you say that it's not yeah. a good thing? Yeah. Right? And, yeah. And my thing is... Which it should be yeah. automatic proof. Oh, absolutely. Well, okay. Devil's advocate for a second. So, Our Lady appears, and she tells you, okay, you need to receive the Eucharist every day. But she knows you're in a state of mortal sin, and she doesn't mention confession. Mm. For a hot sec, you are now receiving the Eucharist unworthily and damning your soul every day. That's really bad. Mm. To be fair, and I think one of the like biggest like supports of Our Lady of Medjugorje, like Our Lady Queen of Peace, is the fact that her first thing is confession. Confession, 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 mm. confession. Mm, Their yeah. confessionals are a building. It's a building of like a hundred confessionals that are always filled with priests. Damn, international, awesome. every language, everything. Go there. Go, go, yeah. go. Repent, wow. repent. That repent, definitely repent, can repent, be the yeah. wow. I'm, I'm yeah, reminded like, of a Chrysostom quote. Um, yeah. He said, uh, there's nothing the devil hates more in the universe than repentance. Mm-hmm. And repentance is yeah. like, you know, now is the time of uh, mercy, then the time of judgment. Yeah. And, um, and so it's like, yeah, I mean, if if Mary, if this is an authentic mm-hmm. one, if she's saying, go confess your sins, it's yeah. the last thing that Literally the last do. thing. Yeah. Confess your sins, fast, love your family, receive the Eucharist, pray for your bishops, do not oppose them, but pray for them, pray for them, pray for them, pray for mm-hmm. the conversion of your priests. And that's actually another big thing is that she was always pushing for it. Pray for your priests, pray for your bishops, pray for the Pope, because mm-hmm. they, they need it. And this is before, like, all of the scandals and everything. And things started to go crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, the ongoing nature. Yes. So, it's I mean, weird. <laughs> I don't... Uh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, have yeah. a precedent in mind yeah, of an fair. ongoing apparition that's, yeah. like, this extended. Doesn't but, I mean, does it... Really? Okay. Uh, except for Guadalupe. Well, I mean, I mean except like, for even, like, what was it? It was Fatima where she appeared on each, you know, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the day of the yes. month. And yes. then it was these, you know, for an entire... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it nine months, seven mm-hmm. months, something like that? Man, I need to know Fatima better and Lords and others. You stuff. really do. After yeah. Bishop Schneider came and like was yeah. going off on the, on uh, Fatima, and yeah, Fatima yeah. we all need to know Fatima. My dad lived there for four, for two years. Um, 
But this is now, Medjugorje is going on how many, do you know how many years? Like 50 years. 50 years or something? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. And throughout all that period of 50 years of being able, like, I mean, it has to be in the millions of pilgrims who have visited there. Um, The hierarchs of the church have settled after 50 years on a a more or less neutral stance. We're not going to say it's demonic. Mm -hmm. We're not going to say it's supernatural yet. So the Vatican has settled on that. Yeah. Individual. How about the local bishops? So that's where things get sticky. Some bishops love it. Some bishops don't. Some bishops are very confused and everything. It's just a mess. If Um, you had to point to one thing as being the source of the confusion, is it the ongoing nature? Is it the message itself? Is it the holiness? The message itself is nothing new. It's literally just repentance and Repent and believe in the gospel. <laughs> okay, like that's fair. pretty much. The is it whole the visionaries message. and their accounts? Um, that I would things... the accounts. No, I would say the visionaries themselves. Like the okay. fact that they're not saints is like a big turnoff for a lot of Catholics. And a big Are they lay flag. people? Like married lay people? Married lay people. Okay, all of them. Like they were kids. They grew up. They got married. They had kids, and their kids live. In, a lot of them live in Medjugorje. Okay, right. Yeah. And I'm sure they're not trying to find other you know, employment, you could, I mean, <laughs> this really. is like everything they're doing. Some and of them are the local hotel people running. support them. Uh, like that, right? one of them, this is actually really cool. One of the visionaries, like her job is she runs a, uh, like a hostel. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's Like cool. for pilgrims, yeah, wow. like that's what she does. And her <laughs> kids help her run it and her grandkids help her run it as well. I stayed there. It was great. Oh, that's it awesome. It was so cool. So wow. cool. You mentioned before your family like helps run pilgrimages to so my grandmother my grandmother that's what she did it wasn't her job but that's what she did so regularly it may as well have been a job she stopped doing that once she got super like she's older now i think she's in her upper 80s Mm -hmm. um i think i really hope that i'm not off on that um but she just couldn't travel and then when my grandfather passed away i was like no we're done okay yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. so and you've been there yes i have been there Multiple times or just once? Uh, just once. Just nice. once. The summer before freshman year. Okay. Yeah. So that was what was it like? What a way to get into Dude. Yeah. back in school. So let's put it this way. Um, one night, the night before the Feast of the Transfiguration, myself and 4,000 other young people about our age, a little bit younger, a little bit older, some families and everything, climbed Krishavak. Krishavak is Cross Mountain. On this, on the top of this mountain is a large concrete cross that was built in the early 20th century and has a relic of the true cross in it. Mm. And at the base is like a, a low altar so a priest can say mass at it. 4,000 people climb up this mountain. It is a mountain all together. And there's the um, a way of the cross up it. Actually, the way of the cross that we have at the port, that's a replica of the one that's out in Krishavak. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, this is midnight. We climb up. It takes us about an hour and a half in the dark, praying the rosary, doing the way of the cross. Thousands of pilgrims are doing this. We reach the top at around like 4.30 or so, pass out, go to sleep, wake up to a priest celebrating mass at the altar. And I wake up because there's a tiny British family right next to me, like a mama, her son and her, uh, my daughter and the, the kids are like four years old. And she's like, pay attention, pay attention. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Wow. And... It, as the sun was rising, the priest was consecrating the Eucharist. Holy cow. And that's everywhere. Stuff like that is everywhere. Wow. 
And that's not even getting into the apparitions. That's just Medjugorje itself. Medjugorje is just this tiny little boondock town in the middle of a Slavic country Jeez. that no one cares about, no one goes to. It's just poor. And you just it's just pilgrims. Just going, 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 going. Wow. It's awesome. The simplicity. Yeah. Hmm. It is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty hmm. darn cool. I love it. I'll always support it, no matter what people say. Cardinal Sorrell supports it. That's, That's a big awesome. deal. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. As soon as he was he um, retired from his uh, position at the Vatican, he immediately went to Medjugorje and was able to say, this, I support this. I be, yeah, I couldn't because I was working for the Vatican. But now it's That's not hilarious. possible. Yeah. It was so cool. Yeah, I trust that man with everything. Yeah. Sorrell's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, his best. Power of Silence book. You know? Dude. It's quite God a, or nothing is what got me. A different... So, uh, Power of Silence is the second of a trilogy. It's a God or nothing, Power of Silence, and then Time is Now Far Spent, I think it's called. Okay. <clears throat> the first one is kind of his story. It's his autobiography, pretty much, but in interview form, like the Power of Silence was. And the guy has... The guy was on the hit list of a dictator for, like, decades. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's fine. Um, he grew up a pagan, like an actual pagan, and then was converted by French monks. Whoa. And, and that's where he was introduced to the Extraordinary Forum, to the Novus Order. Like, during that whole period, he was, was just these French monks who converted him and his family. And then it, like, brought him his vocation and everything. Mm. It just tells the whole story. Power of Silence is kind of like his mystical theology it's like silence silence is the word of god like that so well silence how does he put it like there's a silence as a palpable good in which god speaks most clearly not silence as an absence of sound but as a substance of god's word something like that something like that and it's beautiful it's gorgeous but the time is now far spent is him dealing with all of the conflicts in the church right now Really? Yeah, so going like down the line, it's like this, 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 all in light of our Lord, our Lady, the liturgy, everything. It is gorgeous. That's awesome. It's wonderful. Where did he grow up? Um, this from? This is in Guinea, I think, Africa, okay. Western Africa, the coast. So and you met the French monks there? Yes. Wow. Because they were missionaries. Really? Okay. Yes, yeah. That's so dope. Yeah, I know, right? French monk missionaries <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There is something interesting about silence. I mean, <clears throat> at the end of my day, I try to just come home and just sit on my bed and just sit in silence mm-hmm. for five minutes. Yeah. And just sit there with my eyes closed and just sometimes I have like raging thoughts coming yeah, through yeah. and eventually it peters out. Sometimes. But like, it almost forces you to be put into a calm state. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. And it's beautiful how that God speaks to you in that, you know, mm-hmm. God doesn't really speak to you in absolute chaos. Yeah. Right. Like if you're in the middle of a war zone mm-hmm. and you're fighting a war, it's hard to focus on God. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're in silence, it's like he comes to you mm-hmm. because he knows <clears throat> you're in that state and you're able to listen. Yeah. And it's, I've always been amazed at how, you know, I've looked up to people and I'm like, how do you do this? You know, what is it about mm-hmm. silence that helps you do this? How do you do it? I asked my priest at home and they're just like, it's just a calm state. It's a mm-hmm. state that God knows that you can be reached. Yeah. You know, and that's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to Nicholas Bell mm-hmm. like 
last year or something. He was visiting and we had a cigar and burning nice. on my front porch. It was great. It was so good. <clears throat> and we were talking about the time that he met Cardinal Seurat. Like he, wow, he like, no way. Yeah, what? he met him. Like he actually went into the Vatican and like met him. And Damn he gosh. asked him, it's like, okay, how can I like, what can I do to bring silence into my life? And Cardinal Seurat, he, he stops because he's signing his book <laughs> to give it to him. And he says, that is the wrong question. It's more what distractions are preventing me from encountering silence. Mm. Because silence isn't like the absence of distractions and sounds and everything. It's like, it is a good that we've disfigured. Okay. Yeah. All right. So how have we exactly disfigured it? So that's a very good question. (laughs) I think Cardinal Seurat deals with that a lot. I think... So his first book is called God or Nothing, right? And so I think that leads a lot into the, the power of silence. Mm-hmm. So God or Nothing is like, okay, when you're focused on God, when your entire life is oriented towards he who is good, true, and beautiful itself, those things which you do to be oriented towards him are conducive to silence. It's this weird thing. It's like, okay, when you try and pray, like you kind of remove things. It's like, so you can be silent, so you can encounter God, right? Yeah. But then at the same time, there's this weird thing. Hold on. My train of thought just left. Disappeared. (laughs) It went into the the same time. There's this weird thing. (laughs) At the same time, there's this weird thing where silence. I just keep going to back to substantial. Hold on. I gotta backtrack a second. Backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. Distraction from silence. No, I lost it. Completely gone. That's fine. I mean, yeah. it's 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 kind of a crazy thing in itself because it's almost like as humans we're not ordered to be silent. Mm-hmm. Or are we? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's the disfigured yeah. part. We just lost. Maybe we are supposed to be silent creatures. Yeah. And God gave us a tongue and a mouth <laughs> and he's given given us the ability to speak yeah, yeah but he's also given us the ability to be silent mm-hmm. and that's something that is kind of intriguing almost because there's there's crazy things that come from silence mm-hmm. and it's you know it's just crazy it's cool how that works who was it that had the phrase the dictatorship of noise was that c.s lewis Oh, wait, hold on. No, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't but I mean that, that yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the, the difference between noise and silence and music. Yeah. That in yeah. heaven there's there's just silence and the glorious that music. Lewis. That was someone much more recent. Okay, wait, hold okay. on. But that hell yeah. is characterized by noise. Yeah. Which is just constant unharmonious sound. Mm-hmm. We're we're basically music is harmonious sound. There's like mm-hmm. and and the, the speaking of truth, that the content of, um, yeah, I mean, you can even take a Trinitarian analogy. I mean, the, the beginning mm-hmm. of the sun is, is simultaneous with the breathing of the spirit into the sun, and the yeah. sun's breathing that back, and there's a harmony, mm-hmm. both of, like, what is being spoken is the word yeah. in the silent perception, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, there's the beauty and the glory and the harmony present. There's just kind yeah. of like, <clears throat> you have to have sound to have music, mm-hmm. but the harmony is like what's there that you're perceiving. Mm-hmm. See, the funny thing about music, so I'm not a musician at all, um, uh, but I think about music 
a lot. And I listen to a lot of music. <laughs> the beautiful thing about music is that, like, especially beautiful music, is how much silence is in it. Mm. Like, it's not constant sound all the time. Whereas mm. in discordant, quote unquote, music, it's all just noise over and over and over mm. and over again. But in harmonies, like, there's these pauses, there's these breaths, mm. there's these stop where you yeah. take in what was received and then you just sit and all of a sudden something breathes back out. Like yeah. very much that Trinitarian <clears throat> analogy. And what's really cool with that is that there's a certain theology of creation that brings in the choirs of the angels, right? Mm. So that God created through his messengers, through his hands, like the finger of God is the angel with which he created all of mankind. But there's a reason they're in choirs. And choirs are in which they're singing, very much like a Tolkien-esque like singing into mm. being creation. Mm. because God speaks a word the angel receives that word and then you have an elephant so all of creation has the mark of obviously the mark of God but it's through our, our angels that get that's why there's an angel of elephants there's an angel of lions yeah and those angels were given a human being that's awesome yeah it's wild and like the <clears throat> The silent operation of creation or the silent mm. operation of... I think it's what Sarah's picking up on. It's yeah. like... There's no just noise in that, you know? Yeah. Um, but in that noise, it's significant. It's like... It's silent. It's silent. Almost. Yeah. It's like a waterfall. Yeah. Yeah, waterfalls are very noisy, but at the same time, it's just silent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, think... Yeah. I mean, even the incarnation, which mm. is like... It was just... The spoken word... The word of Mary saying yes, and then mm-hmm. silently, mm-hmm. there we go. Hypostatic union. <laughs> Let's go. Christ, Christ incarnate. Yes. The Holy uh, Spirit descends upon Our Lady. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Dictatorship of noise. Anyway. <laughs> Otherwise known as the Kellen action. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. That's what it comes to. Yeah, yeah and you just think like, um, you know, contemplation mm-hmm. and silence. And yeah. I mean, if you want to the reason the monks find like the quietest part mm-hmm. of the universe they can or no one else is, yeah. you know, it's not because, yeah, it's because they, you can find that type of contemplative silence and it's not crushing because you're yeah. with God at the same time. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that it is crushing. Like that's the point. Yeah. So mm. like, mm. okay, here's uh, like what I was going to say earlier. When in noise, in silence, you encounter who you are. In all of your brokenness, mm-hmm. right? And that's like infuriating because we are not good people. <laughs> like yeah, we're yeah. really messed up. Yeah. We have like many faults, many failings, many sins. Like we deserve hell. And when in when you're in silence, you realize that whether you notice it or not. That's why people like like try and dry, drown out silence all the time. I mean, right. I do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm at work, I listen to podcasts. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, all the time. Like yeah. all Same. the time. We're trying to ignore the fact that we are broken. I mean, psychologists talk about this. Theologians talk about this. Monks talk about this. It's all very real. But then once we've encountered our brokenness, once we've been crushed by the weight of silence, because silence is palpable, it's weighty. It is. It has gravity to it. Like that's why the the pause like it sits mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable you feel it um all of a sudden our lord can come and say there we go you are broken you're messed up and i love you anyway not just mm-hmm. anyway but i love you in your brokenness i'm going to come into it encounter it and burn it out of you mm. <laughs> and that's what love is wow yeah contemplation yeah 
it is like coming to terms with what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. It's like therapy, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's essentially what that is, is it's like a, a moment of healing almost, you know, bringing the chaos out of your day mm-hmm. and coming down and, and sitting down and for me, it's everything. It's like literally I put my hands mm-hmm. on my legs yeah, and yeah. I just like sit there and just, you know, calm myself, put myself in that state. And then I start to understand what's going on. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I listen to music way too much. Everywhere I drive, I listen to music. Mm. Like, yeah, I drive when I drive to work, when I drive to the gym, I'm always listening to music. Yeah. And I, I kind of stop myself. I'm thinking I could use this time to be in silence to actually really mm. understand like what's going on in my life because ultimately what ha- what matters in the end it's your life it's not mm-hmm. music yeah right and i think a lot of us we for including myself we forget kind of what the end goal is mm-hmm. and if we really understood what the end goal was yeah. we would take certain measures yeah now it's to, god or nothing yeah it's no <laughs> it is it really is yeah. which is crazy because and i'll realize like <laughs> yeah, I mean, you go to the car, you turn the key, and you're you're like, wait a second, I don't have my phone. Where's my distraction machine? Yeah, yeah, I need yeah, it. Yeah, oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. yeah if well, I don't have this, I'm gonna have to sit alone in a car and yeah. like be driving around. And well, yeah. it's the classic nature of an addict, like an addict to make up for his brokenness and how messed up he is, like his past, his trauma, or like whatever it is. He uses his addiction as a way, yeah, a crutch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the problem with alcoholics is not the fact that they're drinking too much alcohol. It's the fact that they were abused as a child and they're trying to forget that. Hmm. The, yeah. <clears throat> Noise also, I don't know, in, in kind of like, you know, if you keep yelling something over and over and over again and enough people hear it, maybe they'll start to believe it, that type of yeah. thing. You know, like if you're, like it's it's almost as an instrument of power to always yeah. have your voice be heard yeah that like you know keep droning on the yeah. same things and people continue to listen to it um and it's almost like it's like a slave the, drum the, yeah oh, yeah, yeah right that peace and silence have a um a correlate like i mean it's it's the tower of babel where yeah. all of a sudden what used to be just coherent sentences are now just noise against yeah. each other mm. um and i mean when when you're in a state of war with someone, everything becomes battle because whatever you're saying mm. is necessarily attached to, I'm trying to kill you. So yeah. there's nothing I can really say that would be yeah, yeah. in between as a kind of diplomatic. Yeah, yeah. It's just noise against each other. Yeah. It's only in peace that you can actually have yeah. like a transmission of truth. And that is more in silence than it is in yeah, For sure. more noise. What's really cool about that is that, so are you guys familiar with like the modes of music? Or anything. I kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Okay. So basically it's a classical way of understanding music. So instead of chords, you have like series of chords that you have modes. I know nothing about this apart from the fact that there's a particular mode that the Greeks would use for their soldiers when they were going to war. No way. And that's what the drum was. Like, Uh, okay. And what it does is that it changes your heartbeat. It starts to quicken it. So oh. now you're getting angry. You're getting anxious. I want to kill somebody. Somebody's going to die. All right. Yeah, exactly. I just got some Avenged Sevenfold or Mega. Oh, for sure. Like rock music all the way. Let's go. All right. But it changes the way that your heart beats. It's not natural. It's not just that, okay, we're plodding along. We're taking a leisurely walk. No, now your heartbeat is matching everyone around you. 
yeah, something's changed. It's not you that's changed. It's not something good, natural. It's artificial and cruel. It's tyrannical. Hmm. But then with other modes of music, what it does is that it eases into an emotion. So certain mm. modes are associated with certain emotions, okay. right? So if you have a sad mode, I don't even know what it's called. It might be the Dorian, it might be the Ithacan, the Thracian, I don't know. Um, it eases its way into sadness and all of a sudden your heartbeat slows and experiences that, but then it has a moment of catharsis. It like wraps up and you're good, you're healthy. All mm. of a sudden your body has released all of this emotion and it, it's good. Mm. You've experienced it and moved on. Mm. It's just, here you go. But it's not the case with noise, which is this one mode, which was the mode of war. Like it was for soldiers. It was for those, for the slaves. Like when you think of the slave boats going like that, the drums like boom, boom, boom. That's the yeah. heartbeat. That's what your heart should it's be. The only thing it can express <coughs> yeah. is just emotion. Like not emotion. Like It's emotion. Just motion of It's rowing. motion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but not. Yeah. Not touching to the spirit of man and all, you know, mm-hmm. it's just all, uh, whoa, deep waters. <laughs> yeah. No. And I mean, maybe it's, <clears throat> it's almost like an appreciation of music can lead you into the silence, mm-hmm. you know, like a beautifully yeah. sung mass can mm-hmm. then make you want to just spend time in contemplation. Yeah, you know what sure. I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh like, gosh. cause it is, you're, we're yeah. taking all of this musical harmony and we're taking all these things and then all of a sudden we're silent. Mm-hmm. And then there's like actions up at the altar and then more music mm-hmm. and harmony and silence. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then after masses, I just want to like yeah. sit there and contemplate for all you know. Yeah. I think one of the most beautiful masses I ever went to was it was in Santa Barbara. Yeah. And it was this, it was for my sister's graduation. We went there after her graduation. And mm-hmm. like it was so beautiful, but I've never heard such beautiful music in my entire life. The mm-hmm. choir, mm-hmm. just the I don't I don't even know what instruments they were using. Obviously they had a piano or an organ, mm. but it was the most beautiful. There's a lot of things that I forget, mm-hmm. but that was something that I just could not forget. I think about it all the time. It was the most spectacular mm-hmm. music I think I've ever heard in my entire life anywhere. That's awesome. And I was like, damn, I want to come to mass every mm-hmm. single day. Yeah. Like, listen, like, that changes you. Like, listening yeah. to that level of music, mm-hmm. there's no way I would want to go. I, I mm-hmm. live in that church. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, there's. I wouldn't want to go anywhere else because it mm-hmm. was so stunningly beautiful. Mm-hmm. You're like, this is, this is, only Catholics have this. Yep. You know, so it's like, it's, it was so amazing. It, it, it was just like, I felt like I was in heaven. Yeah. You know, and it it was just insane, and it stuck with me to this day. But yeah, it it was incredibly beautiful. That's awesome. It was crazy. Yeah. What was it? I was in a CC one time. This was years ago, and uh, my family like we go down to the crypt and everything. And as we're going down to the crypt, I notice out of side of my uh, my vision is that a bunch of Boy Scouts were walking into the church with this huge like processional cross. Like, they were Boy Scouts, like, with the short shorts and, like, the brown, like, cut-offs and everything. It's like, that's kind of weird. Um, we walked down into the crypt of uh, St. Francis. Have you all been? 
Like, yes, in no. a CC? Yeah, in a CC. In a CC. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the tiny the tiny room where Francis is buried underneath mm. the lower church. Do they have it? Is it in a chapel? Like, do yeah. they have an altar there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we have mass yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we went down there. My family's sitting. We're praying everything because it's St. Francis. <laughs> you just can't. And then all of a sudden, all these Boy Scouts, like, they, they start shuffling. And there's, like, 40 of these boys that are all, like, cramming in there. And out of nowhere, they start singing. And they're singing in French. These are French Boy Scouts. Whoa. And they start... I don't know how to, like, express how beautiful this was. The acoustics in there were gorgeous. But apart from that, these men, like, young men, like, 16, 17, 18 years old, were singing this song that just, like... And just keeps going and going until it just keeps building and building and building. And then the only way I can describe it is that the beat dropped. And they just, <laughs> they, they just go, oh, da, 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 da. Wow. It was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. And I spent four years trying to find what this song was. Oh, did you ever find it? I did. I did. Oh. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it's like, regarde et tole. It's like, it's just weird. I can't pronounce it French. I can't speak French at all. Um, but it's a hymn. Guard a toilet. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. A toilet. Uh, E-T-O-I-L-E. Etoile. Etoile. Yeah. Etoile. I don't know what, I don't know what it means. But how it's did a, you find that? So, uh, how, what did you I do? know. So, I, I looked everywhere. I looked everywhere. I looked everywhere. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I run into a friend of mine. He's actually a student here. Marco. Love Marco. Great guy. Marco, if you're listening, I love you. You're wonderful. He did mission work with a charismatic group from France. And this these French charismatics, they sing French hymns and French... Like, here's, here's the thing that people forget. Charismatic movement, praise and worship is an American thing. Let's, for, let's just moving on. The folk music for the French, that's what they, they used. So they were singing all these songs and everything. And I, he told me about this. I was like, wait, hold on. Do you know this song? And so I pulled up the video that my brother took of these on um, the French Boy Scouts. I said, yeah, I know that. Hold on. Let me. He finds it and he gives it to me. And all of a sudden, I just listen to it like every week. And, and oh, you know, that's awesome. Yeah, I know it. And wow. it's like, yes, this is it. I've been looking for this for four years. Damn. For four years. It's so beautiful. It is so gorgeous. Yeah. Music just changes everything. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. There's something about it that, like you said, it channels emotion. Yeah. Like certain music will bring you into yeah. certain emotions. And it's like, that's how yeah. that works. So to go in a church and to hear this, mm-hmm. I mean, French Boy Scouts. Yeah, like, I know, oh, right? Like, what? Like, what the and then they start singing this and you're like, holy cow. Yeah. This, I cry. This brings me like, into the tears. moment. Yes, I've, tears I've cried again. before too. Yes. It's like... <laughs> going on. what is going on mm-hmm. it's crazy yeah it was beautiful it was funny so i was speaking i was talking to i don't know who was some priest i think it was father william wagner about this it's like music specifically is the one art form that what it's expressing but what it's also creating because art is an imitation <clears throat> of reality what it's imitating are the human emotions mm. and art is efficacious so it creates those things which is why it's so important to figure out what music you're listening to. That's why sad music makes you sad, happy music makes you happy. Mm. But not just at that, music forms the soul directly. Like wow. it completely bypasses your rational faculties wow. and just starts to create virtue in you. Wow. Or vice. That's crazy. Or vice. It's really, like it's wild. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. really crazy. Yeah, no, that's the thesis mm. of a um, 
of a priest. Actually, one of the, um, uh, the priests that's part of the order that um, uh, Bishop Schneider is a part of, Canons Gregory the Holy Cross. Look them up. They're awesome. Uh, Father Basil Nords. And basically the idea is that music forms virtue or vice. Period. End of story. All music does this because that's what it's for. Wow. Yeah. The Greeks used to say that the addition of a single note to a chord was the cause for revolution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it changes the the ethos and the life, the interior life of the people so much that there has to be a break. There's no way that there can be continuity there. Like a wow. single note. That's insane. Yeah. Fortunately, gentlemen, I have to get going. Oh. Um, Too I'm bad. Sorry, John Mark. Yeah. You, you have till is it six forty-five or seven? Uh seven. Seven. Okay, seven. great. Seven. Yeah, we'll keep going. Awesome. Sorry to see you leave, Kellen. See you, Kellen. Oh it. my gosh, this was awesome. Tequila, but, uh, yeah, we can keep going, Dylan. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah. Uh, all right. Peace out, Later. everybody. Bless you, man. God bless you too, buddy. That was fun. Yeah, it was a good time. All right. See you guys. Later. Um. Can I grab another beer? Yeah, please. Awesome. Grab one too. Um. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm still hinging on like the beauty and silence thing yeah. and, and them being like leading into each other. I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, what you were just saying about how the music, if you change one note, you're like changing the soul of the people. I'm still like, run, my mind's just running on You're that. forming the soul. The Let forming me, let's, the soul. Let's yeah, be very, yeah. very specific here because you're not changing it. It's like, okay, you cannot change the essence of the soul, but what you can do, like you can change this, the soil that a plant is being planted in. And what that does is it affects is the fruit that it produces. So if you put poisonous soil into the around the roots of a tree, the fruit that it produces will be poisonous, or there will be no fruits. Right. Yeah. And it will begin to change it. You'll have mutations. Things will just it won't be the same. Mm. Yeah. And like the music grows out of the soul of the people, and then is like reciprocating that. Like it's it's a reflection of them at the same time. It's yeah. So this is actually a huge argument in like philosophy and everything, right? Like, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually the nature of art, but also of music. So is art an expression of the soul or is it an imitation of reality? Oh. Yeah. Because, okay. so if it's an expression, which is actually the modernist position, like that's very, very, very new. Very new. Interesting. Yeah. Is that it's like, oh, I have this thing inside me and I need to get it out. I need to get it out of me. And then that is what's it's reflecting the interior. That is my soul. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's one position, but then the classical position of Aristotle, Plato, but then specifically Thomas Aquinas is that it's an imitation of reality. So you have this thing, you have this real thing that exists and man as a co-creator, he's trying to imitate God in his creation. And so he creates something imperfectly like that. But then at the same time, that creates in someone else. So like art, like music, let's take music. You have sadness. You have the emotion of sadness. Oh, the artist right, okay. takes sadness, imitates it in such a manner that it creates sadness in the um, uh, listener. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why you can have these symphonies that go through multiple different emotions. Like it's literally the emotion of can be the emotion of a person it can tell a story and then it wraps up it's just you have this moment of catharsis and everything reconciles like that's what music does it reconciles and if it doesn't you're left with that emotion 
Right. That's why so much music right now, like you cut off the last three notes and you're sad for the rest of the day. Yeah. You're angry for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you're anxious. That's how music works. That it imitates that. Yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's both, personally. Like music is both expressive and um, imitational. Like it does both. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it doesn't have to conflict. <clears throat> My favorite piano concerto. Mm-hmm. And it's... <laughs> And I always am like, ah, oh, Rachmaninoff's second concerto mm-hmm. and Rachmaninoff's third concerto. Yeah. I'm like, okay, those are yeah, like yeah. the best of the best. But Prokofiev, I don't know if you've heard of Sergei, Sergei? Prokofiev? Yeah. Russian. He was okay. after Rachmaninoff. His second piano concerto. And he, he takes like <clears throat> what you're allowed to do in music and just like goes mm-hmm. like 10 steps farther. And there are points of just like, you can't pull out a melody from it. Yeah. It, extreme dissonance yeah he actually made um what's called the war sonatas yeah where have you heard those yeah yeah i know i know about them yeah Yeah. oh the war sonatas are like what in the world am i listening to Mm -hmm. but i remember listening to them first time and i was just like there is like deep beauty here because it's expressing war in a way that you would never think you could do in music because it's just so Anyways, it's like the but, flight of the Valkyries. It does. Yeah, the same exactly. Thing. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. just like dum 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 yeah. dum da da, and you're like, ah! yeah, like, what's going on? Yeah. Um. But yeah, an imitation rather yeah. than an expression. An expression. Yeah, and, yeah. and that that makes sense that it's imitating, mm-hmm. you know, via these musical instruments. Mm-hmm. What is really amazing about like, um, yeah, about performing music and live music and having it be there is Mm. you know the person's thoughts and emotions and how they've you know understood the piece whatever they're playing or how they're expressing it Mm. is completely unique to the person and also the listening experience you know like your the way that that music imitates is affected by all of your sensation you know how are the, you know, not only yeah. the quality of the sound and the acoustics yeah. that are being received, but also the notes, but also like, what are you looking at? It's at not homogenous. Yeah, it's right. Like, like we have this idea, I think as like in America, like as conservatives and everything, um, is this idea, this, oh, there is objective reality. There is truth. And truth is the same. Mm-hmm. Always. It's identical. Not just that it's the same, but it's identical. It's the exact same. And then we kind of like scoff at subjective truth. But you have to remember that subjective truth just means that you're experiencing truth as a subject. That's all yeah. that subjective means. Hmm. So you're experiencing an objective reality subjectively. Right. So I see the elephant from behind as opposed to in front. Like I'm still seeing the elephant. And so the truth that is being imitated in the art form, I experience sadness very differently than you do. Hmm. And this art piece is someone else's um, a sadness that now I'm experiencing their sadness in a way that I could never could. So it's like you look talking to your brother and your brother's going through a very hard time. You're experiencing his sadness with you. It's this, this sort of empathy, right? But it will never be his sadness. It's your sadness of his sadness. Right. It's the same thing with music. And that's freedom, right? Mm. It's like truth creates diversity. It's like it's a different kind of sadness, but it's all sadness. We're all experiencing the same thing, but very differently. Let's take one instant. The Pieta, Michelangelo's. Mm, gorgeous. In the Vatican. Yeah. And you've seen it in person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
behind that huge plexiglass wall. <laughs> yeah. Now that yeah. the guy came up with the yeah. hammer to just Oh my out. gosh. It's terrible. Still pisses me off. I wasn't even there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had to see through plexiglass. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you're like, yeah, I mean, so you're preserving at the same time. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe we're moving out of the realm of, uh, yeah, we're moving out of the realm of music and into to art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have I told you Soloviev's version of like art and beauty and how he like says no, the objective standard? Okay. Go for it. I haven't talked about this in a while, but it struck me really, you know, interesting as interesting mm-hmm. before. Um, so he, he asked the question of like, okay, you know, is there an objective standard to beauty? Mm-hmm. The whole question yeah, of, yeah, are yeah. we just imposing yeah. this? And he says, you know, he asked the question of like, why do we value diamonds mm-hmm. so much? And you don't give your, you know, engaged your spouse coal, even though materially it's almost the same, you know, it's just yeah. crystallized carbon. Um, and what is it about flowing water that makes it more beautiful than, you know, maybe still water? And what, mm-hmm. what is it about? And he said his theory of aesthetics is that um, uh, it's an incarnational analogy, you could say, where the more higher the ideal that's expressed in the material, the more beautiful it is. But mm-hmm. not just that, how it expresses it materially can be better or worse. So, okay. So the nobler, the idea expressed in the material and how well the material shows forth the ideal. Yeah. So in the diamond, you have this just pure reflection of light Mm -hmm. and of just this crystal, this, this structure that is perfectly hardened and crystal and, and compressed, Mm -hmm. but showing forth pure eminence of light, you know, and that, That shows forth the beauty of, you know, of life and, yeah, and yeah, everything yeah. that that's the ideal. Or, you know, he compares like the uh, the lovesick cat, you know, like groans and moans or whatever versus like a song for your beloved. Yeah. You know, that's expressing the ideal of romantic love in in such a more more perfect and beautiful way. And then taking that. The this goes back to his theology. Then would be the most beautiful thing that's ever existed on the face of the earth is Christ Himself, mm-hmm. because He is the highest ideal. It's the yeah. highest, which is God Himself. But then the perfect medium for the perfect ideal, which is uh, the human flesh. Yeah. And so mm. there's nothing Ooh. more beautiful than Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know approximations to Christ then get you to the more beautiful. That's awesome. That's yeah. a wild thought because that means that the crucifixion is the most beautiful thing that ever occurred. Because think about Go it. Like, yeah. Okay, so basically you what you're saying is that the the idea or the thing that is expressed mm-hmm. gives a nobility to the um whatever art form it is. And that yeah. creates it high, that makes it higher in of itself, but then that can be expressed better or worse, right? Yes. So the high greatest thing that exists is God's love. Period. And it is expressed most perfectly through the crucifixion itself. Wow. Therefore, the crucifixion, not just the cross, but the crucifixion, that act, the, pa- that act, the paschal mystery, is itself the most beautiful thing that has ever occurred. That's amazing. In all <laughs> the- I know, right? No, and then, yeah, yeah. and then you, the crucifixion, I mean, we'll, that's why Christ is on the cross. We put it everywhere. Yeah. It's yeah. not only is it, it's the most beautiful yeah. material expression 
of God's law. Not just material, like it, it, period, it, yeah. <laughs> everything. It doesn't. It's oh not even. Gosh. Yeah, it's more than that. That's taking it further. Than yeah. Slowly. Not only is Christ the most beautiful thing, but like the, the cross crucif- is the most the, beautiful yeah. act. Which makes sense why Catholics, like you said, put it everywhere, but also like in the early church, like we freaked out and started carrying crosses everywhere. And the Romans yeah. like, what the frick is <laughs> Why are you guys doing that? Yeah, Why right? do you have this instrument of torture everywhere? This is yeah. ugly. This is disgusting. And yeah. that's actually part of the love of God, right? He takes that which is ugly and that's what's decrepit and that's what's evil. He goes into it, burns that away and creates even, he takes the nothing which is, which is ugly and makes it the something which is beautiful. Uh, so the most <laughs> ugly thing, the yeah. most nothing thing that exists yeah, was the crucifixion. Yeah. And he made it the most beautiful thing. That's so cool. <laughs> and you would have never, yeah, I mean, it's foolishness to uh, to the Gentiles and, uh, you know, blasphemy to the Jews. Yeah. And, yeah, wow. I'd never thought of it that way. The most beautiful, yeah, expression of God's love. The most beautiful is... is Ah. Yeah. No, I mean, but that fits with Slovia. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Gosh. awesome. I never heard of that. For he's a Slovia. he's a Russian yeah. philosopher. No, no, no. You know I know Slovia. Slovia. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the Russians. Yeah, I do yeah, too. Oh they're, my god, they're great. They're freaking weird. But you want a really freaking weird Go for Russian? It. Okay. Go for so, it. So love uh, the Russians. I've been publishing these videos for St. Paul Center. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah. Did you see the recent one? No, I okay, okay. I don't watch them. I know that you do. You know that I do. Got it. Because cool. I, I work in the St. Paul Center, remember? You do? I'm oh, in the right. warehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're yeah, the yeah. warehouse part. Yeah, yes, yeah. I'm the warehouse rat that makes like, <laughs> the wall nice. all of you, all no. academics. It's like, I pack your boxes. <laughs> I drive your trucks. <laughs> oh, I fix your I'm not, problems. I'm not technically employed by them yet. You know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet. Yeah, I. we're hoping. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Anyways, but I, the the whole video I did was on the temptations of Christ, mm, and it was okay. Dostoevsky's mm, Grand Inquisitor, mm, you know, version, ooh, which ooh, the rejection of the Our Father. Oh, what what's that part of it? No, no, no. So the whole Grand Inquisitor, Inquisitor is the rejection of God as Father. That's the whole nature of the argument. Because God didn't come to like feed us. He didn't come to was. Was it? Yeah. Make, give them just earthly just bread. A, he, did, he didn't come for that, which is conscience. in direct contradiction to communism and liberation theology yeah. and everything. What he did is to make us sons, mm. sons and daughters, yeah. which is the Our Father, right? Yeah. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Yeah. So you're praying for justice. You're praying for bread. You're praying to be a food. But, but first- It's because you're a son. It's because you're a son. And that's I mean, where the, where the Grand Inquisitor- Sorry, that's that's my household. Father, like fatherhood oh, is yeah. like everything. Nice, yeah. So, but like the main, like the greatest um, critique that the Grand Inquisitor makes against Christ is the fact that you could have made it that everyone was Catholic. You yeah. could have done that. Yep. You could have given them bread. You could have given them justice. You could have given like fed their Universal appetite. Yeah, yeah, you could have done it. You could have done it. And everyone would have been Catholic. Yeah. Everyone would have been fed, just everything. But you didn't. And because of that, you are not worthy to be worshipped. Yep. Therefore, I will give them that. I will give them bread. I will give them justice. I will give them that. But it's Christ insane. didn't come for that. Right. He came to like to give us the opportunity to be sons. And that's worth risking that we lose it. It is the greatest good. Was it the, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. 
that he made his sons, right? That's the whole Christianity. There's no other religion in the world. There's no other faith. There's The Mohammedans, like the idea that we are sons of God, that Christ is the son, is blasphemy. Yeah. Like it is the utmost blasphemy. Like that's what they shout at the rooftops, like in their, um, uh, whatever, their parapet, whatever the frick they're called, yeah. is that Christ is not the son of God. Like that's what they're saying. Yeah. And in response to that, we have the Angelus, the incarnation. God became man and he is son. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, you know, the temptation, what I tried to argue and what Dostoevsky does, what I think is what the gospel's showing is like the devil was tempting Christ to become the Antichrist. Yeah. You know, like. To cease to be his son. Slovia's short story, The Antichrist, yeah. which is just like phenomenal. Just, I haven't read that yet. Yeah. It's it's wonderful. Oh. Yeah. But, I mean, <clears throat> it's, it's like a whole like meditation on what would antichrist be mm-hmm. and i'm not going to spoil it cause it's just yeah. too amazing but the mohammedans <laughs> well maybe, yeah i mean they they have elements of that but it's giving them you know the first temptation giving the earthly bread yeah it's this like well look if you fulfill man's material needs and you do that consistently mm-hmm. like he'll worship you you know yeah. that's the temptation yeah. turn these sons into bread all the pagan gods yeah and then dostoevsky's point with the second temptation throw yourself down from the temple and your angels will catch you is make a spectacle yeah. of your power so that not only, you know, if they have bread, but they don't have anything to live for, they'll throw away yeah. bread. So you need to capture their conscience. Give, give them, give a, them reason a reason to live. To live. Yeah. Raison de vie or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the third one is this thirst for unity of the entire world, this mm-hmm. universal kingdom. And then that's why the devil shows them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Uh, because he says, I can give you all these. If you worship me, like, if we we have this team thing going on, and Satan has this kind of dominion over all mm. the kingdoms, right? And he rejects all three, and then that's what the Grand Inquisitor is yeah. accusing him. It's just like, why didn't you choose Antichrist? You would have done well for all these people who mm. are now going to be damned, right? It's a really tough. You would have given really... them peace. You would have <clears throat> given them food. You would yeah. have given them a reason to live. Yeah. Okay. Now this is where Solovia and Dostoevsky leave off, and a guy named Sergei Bulgakov picks up. Okay. And he's. He's uh he knew Soloviev and he takes Soloviev sociology and like runs ten. Mm-hmm. He ends up getting excommunicated by the Orthodox because he he did too much with sociology. Everyone got excommunicated by the Russians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody. Okay, John Selly and I just read a work of his called Judas Apostle Betrayer. Yeah. Have you heard of this or? Well, I I listened to your podcast. Remember? Oh, that's right. <laughs> we talked about it. Yeah, oh, you so did. you're already familiar, but yeah, I mean the. I, yeah, that's right. Oh, we uh, we went right into it. It's like, okay, well, you have this, when Christ first reveals to the apostles that he's going to suffer and die, and Peter, like, rebukes him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't just say, you're wrong, but he says, get behind me, Satan. Mm-hmm. That, like, I feel like there's this connection there, because it is in Matthew's gospel yeah. where we have the temptation <clears throat> and this get behind me, Satan thing, where it's like, okay, I've just appointed, this is Matthew 16, yeah. I've just appointed you to be this head rock mm. of the church and now you're thinking as satan like who what was satan thinking as giving them the bread taking their conscience yeah. and having universal kingdom yeah. like if there's anyone who can like screw this up peter could really screw this up he does screw it up that's the, that's pope. What the grand inquisitor said. <laughs> that's the pope all <laughs> <laughs> well, right yeah every I mean, generation he, like yeah. every single generation the pope fails and when the pope fails the entire church feels it in our soul yeah yeah, it's not just because he's like he's our papa, he's our father. He's like, yeah, no, 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 no. He has guardianship 
over the tomb of Peter, the vicar of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's right. Peter who denies him. Yeah. You know, uh, initially. The greatest sin. Yeah. Not Judas's. Peter's. Boy, okay. John Mark, you're throwing too much at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Explain that part of it. Peter apostatizes. That was a, what, for, what Peter did. He formally apostated. He's an apostate. He renounced Christ publicly, which means, according to like the laws of the church, right? Like not for eternity. It's always understood. If you apostate, you are not part of the church. You are not part of the body of Christ. You have removed yourself from the body of Christ. Judas, his sin was that he was greedy. He wants something great. He said it was a small sin in comparison. Like he betrayed Christ. Yes, but so does everyone. Every sin is a betrayal of Christ. But the public, like renunciation is like, I do not know him. Peter formally said, no, I'm gone. The difference is that Peter, who has the greater sin, he repented. That's why he, like, was it? The degradation of the greatest is the worst. Yeah. Like, Peter is the greatest, and he obviously had the worst sin. And then he's the greatest again, right? Because he mm. repented. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Satan demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I pray for you, Peter, that when yeah. you turn, yeah. <clears throat> strengthen your brethren. Yeah. It's... It's... <laughs> Christ's prayer just for him that he repents yeah. because he could have had a yeah. fate like Judas. Yeah. That's every generation. Okay, every... I, I did not make this like connection. That is fantastic. The connection with like, this is the apostasy that's far worse than just betraying Christ. Like, we betray yeah. Christ. Now, this isn't to diminish the betrayal, which is of course, terrible. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, but we don't think about that. No. And then we're surprised when the Pope is either horrendous or the greatest. Okay, I'm of this opinion, and like someone can correct me, but I haven't been corrected, that the Pope at any point is either a saint or the greatest of sinners. Like there is no in between. Like you cannot have like a mediocre Pope. Because first, well, he's the head of the church. Uh, well, not the head of the church. He's the vicar of Christ who is the head of the church. All that fun stuff. All Fair that, enough. Yeah. All that theology. <laughs> but that, like, it makes sense that if you are a good pope, you're given all... Well, okay, if you were... When you're a pope, Christ and all of his angels bestow all of the graces necessary to be a good pope. Like, that's just how it works. Like, you have the tradition that when a priest is ordained a priest, he's given another guardian angel to assist him in his ministry. When he's made a bishop, he's given a legion of angels to assist him in his ministry. When he's given pope, all of the angels are at his disposal to do his will. Hmm. And I don't know whether that's a legend or whether that's legit, but honestly, it's a great story, so I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> he's given all the graces to be good. And so, if he's not, it's because it's a choice. Like, I, I don't feel bad for the pope, ever. I never feel bad for the pope. Because he's given every means to be good. And not just to be good, to be great. Because he is the greatest. He is the biggest. He is the most powerful. And so when he chooses to be bad, to be evil, he is a great sinner. Was it the um, the roads of hell are paved with the skulls of bishops and popes? Hmm. Yeah, oh, like there's a reason for that. It's either heaven or hell. And it's not just like, oh, I barely made it into heaven or I barely made it into hell. No, you either have the great saint. So you have St. Pius X, John Paul II, Leo the Great, Gregory the Great, or all these other saints. Um, or you have Julius II. Or you have uh, Alexander, whatever the fuck the sixth, his name yeah. the sixth. Yeah, You don't have any in-betweens. You don't have mediocre popes. 
That doesn't exist. Mm. That's a load of bullshit. What do you think of the, I mean, Bulgakov's account of Judas? I'm going to take a piss first. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll rant about it and then we'll go get back and comment on it. Go for it. Go for it. Um, so, I mean, Bulgakov's account of Judas is basically the temptation that Peter expressed by saying, um, you know, this will never happen to you, Lord. Like, I don't want the cross to happen to you. So I'm going to make sure that <laughs> it, that it doesn't. Um, and then Christ rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. Well, what Judas, when Judas hears that Christ is intending to go to the cross, he's been placing all of his messianic hopes in Christ, that Christ is going to, you know, overthrow the Romans, that he's going to establish this new kingdom. Um, and when Christ is going to go to the cross, it's going to obviously destroy all of those earthly messianic hope. And so <laughs> um, Judas hatches this plan, this plot that he conspires with the Pharisees and Sadducees to do, which is, I'm going to betray Jesus into your hands so you can put him into trial. And I know because he's Christ that he's going to not go to the cross. He's going to reveal who he is as the earthly Messiah and it's going to overthrow the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Romans. And it's my role and it's my duty as apostle to be the betrayer, the hander, the one who hands him over. And betrayer in the Greek is paradidatskos, which is just giving over, you know, handing over Jesus to the Pharisees and Sadducees. But he realizes very quickly that Jesus wasn't just making it up when he said he was going to suffer and die. Um, and that knowledge that he betrayed Christ and, you know, he goes back and he repents and he throws his money back into the, mm-hmm. into the temple. Um, you know, the last moment when he's seeing Christ take up the cross and start to go, he realizes like what's left for him in the world mm-hmm. at that moment. The apostles, well, they know mm-hmm. that Judas betrayed <clears throat> Jesus and would they accept him back? Mm-hmm. He didn't know. And it's very doubtful. Could he go back to his, I mean, did he have any revolutionary hopes after that? I mean, not really. It seems like the Romans, like Christ was the one mm-hmm. the Romans couldn't be overthrown. It didn't seem like the Pharisees and Sadducees were going to be in the Herodians weren't. And so all of his constructed idea of who the Christ is was now headed to the cross and towards death. And Bulgakov's <clears throat> thing is he uh, wanted to await Christ in Sheol. And so he went, went ahead and killed himself because there's nothing left for him in the world yeah. instead of repenting, which is what he should have done. He tried to be John the Baptist, be the forerunner of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What do you think? So what do I think? I think you have this dichotomy, like I said, between uh, Judas and John the Baptist, right? Yeah. So, oh, Bulgakov yeah. just really well with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've actually never read this. So like mm. I've heard parts of it, so I don't completely understand. Yeah. It. Um. Uh, but what John the Baptist is is that you have the blood of Christ, who is John the Baptist. Remember, because he's like he's related. He is of the blood of Christ, yeah, which is actually really cousin. cool, a really cool idea to temper with. Who goes before him and announces that he's coming, right? He wants to come. He's coming. He's coming. But he comes in his divinity, right? He's coming. Repent, believe, and be baptized, right? And that's John the Baptist. Um, uh, the one is coming that uh, who's I'm not worthy that he should untie the sandals of my feet, right? Mm. What? But he's coming. Like he's announcing his divinity. He's announcing his like his Christhood, his anointed, his as the Messiah. What Judas is doing, he's an 
he's announcing him as Messiah and Christ, but in an earthly sense. He doesn't believe yeah. he's God. He's not announcing his divinity. Mm. He's the, he accepts Christ fully and unreservedly as a material savior, <clears throat> but not as God. Yes. But he wants to be the forerunner of that. He wants to um, He wants to be at the front. He doesn't want to be the number two. He doesn't want to be the number three. He doesn't want to be in a place of power. He doesn't want that. Remember, it was James and John who were arguing about that, not Judas. What Judas was doing, he was trying to make it possible. He was just like, no, I just want to go before you. I just want to go and announce that you're coming. I want to announce that the revolution is coming. It's over. We don't have to wait anymore. All of a sudden, Christ, the Christ is here and... There will be a revolution. A kind of linen figure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, <laughs> it's socialism. Like, that's what it is. The materialism of a pseudo-Christianity. Mm. And he said, I want to forerun you into Sheol, like even into hell where you will descend and like announce yourself to all these things. He wants to do what John the Baptist was doing. But he's not. Because the rejection of Christ's divinity is the Antichrist. Yeah. Like that's what it is. Like that's what the, the early church fathers always said. That's what John says. It's like, they will say that he is not God. Mm. They will say that he's just a man, that he's not the Messiah. That he's, but not just that he's not the Messiah, that he's not more than man. And that's what Judas was doing. He's just, he's just a man, a great man, the greatest man. But yeah, so Judas is the runner of the forerunner of the Antichrist. But, Ju but John the Baptist is the forerunner of Christ himself. That's what I would say. Wow. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's insane yeah with little forerunner of the antichrist yeah dude you gotta read short story of the antichrist by yeah Zillow. i have I think to it'll, i have to. it'll it'll put some stuff together because the antichrist does have a kind of forerunner someone who's who works miracles for him who mm -hmm. like shows announces mm -hmm. everything's coming in revelation that's exactly what, what the sorcerer that goes before him and performs miracles for yeah the great dragon yeah that's yeah, that's yeah it's, it's, it's literally yeah, yeah. It, right right yeah it's the the lamb yeah. Right, the uh, the false land yeah. that's performing, <laughs> that's performing, um, yeah, miracles to prop up the beast. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> and you find it already in the apostles. Yeah. You know, every generation has it. Every yeah. generation. You know this. You know Paul's notion of. Even in our sins, Christ, you know, it, you wouldn't die, you know, you, maybe you die for one of your friends, one of your mm -hmm. beloveds. You, you'd give yeah. your life for them. But to die uh, for a But sinner? to die for a sinner. To yeah. die for a man you don't like? Yeah. Why would I do that? Yeah. But Christ does that. I was reading again in Brothers <clears throat> Chronicles where Father <clears throat> Zosima has this like, you know, oh, I know. It's just like, it's like the greatest. It's just. Every time. Yeah. It makes me want to cry. Um. But he's saying, you know, love a man even in his sin because that's the closest to divine love. Yeah. And it's like, oof, yeah. that's tough. And you shall be like God. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that explodes human logic, you know. Um, and it is that mystery of temporality where you're, you're loving the person so that they would go to repentance like we were talking about earlier. Um, and amend their ways. And further that there is... In this life, no one, you know, not able to be led to repentance. And mm. then the divine grace can break through <clears throat> any of that. Yeah. I mean, that's and Peter, right? That's Peter. The greatest sin. And he is the head of the church. I mean, he's the one in Matthew 16 who confesses, you are the Christ, yeah. the son of the exactly. living God. Exactly. And then in Matthew 28 or whatever it is. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. It's just that Christ is the Lord. 
everything else follows from that. But you can fall a thousand times, but as long as you focus on Christ, you focus on the Eucharist, you focus on his divinity, you're good. You have oathed yourself into the family of God, into the lambs, into the lamb that was slain. Yeah, I mean, hmm. I mean, it gets to the parables, you know, mm-hmm. the the shepherd will leave the 99 and go and find the one. Yeah. Um, and you're like, okay, how does Judas fit in that story? You know, it's like, <laughs> or how does, uh, how does Peter fit in that story? Um, what I love about that. So I have a friend of mine who like, he, he was a shepherd, like he took care of sheep. So that analogy, he goes to find the 99 and you always see like the, the pretty image of Christ carrying yeah, right. the sheep. What we forget is the fact that he had to break his legs. So when you find, if you go to find a sheep, the sheep is not going to go on your legs willingly, willingly. Yeah. You oh. have to break each of its legs oh. and then you put it on your shoulders. You bring it back to the flock, you nurse it back to health. And all of a sudden that sheep, that lamb is the most devoted to you because you waited on it hand and foot. Like there's so much there. But then at the same time, he left the I 99. Know. Yeah. Sheep are stupid. Yeah. Sheep right. are fucking stupid. Yeah. All right. They will follow the butt in front of them. But there's one at the front that's just so pig-headed, it'll go wherever. Right. Right? And so in the in the absence of Christ, one will lead them. And that's Antichrist. He's not following Christ. He's going somewhere else. <laughs> but Christ will return to them, right? And then he'll be their leader. But unless that one at the front, that stubborn yeah. one, repents, no, he's dinner. <laughs> There's so much there. Yeah, I mean, this... Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it gets to the social nature of humanity. Like, you're... Mm. And also the social nature of salvation. Mm. Like, we have this very individualized notion of salvation. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, you're saved in the church. Mm-hmm. Like, in e- Ecclesia. In... In your nation. Yeah. And, uh, All the nations will be saved, not the individuals. That's a translation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> go make disciples of all nations. Yeah. Yeah. But there's not this go make disciples of individuals idea. Yeah. Which is scary. John Mark, it's scary. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, because we're, we're in the nation of however many abortions a year, all the different no, we're not. terrible. No, we're not. What the fuck do you think a nation is? What is a nation? Define for me a nation. I have no idea. A nation is a family. That's okay. all that it is. Like when the creation of the nation states was occurring, what the nations were is that large extended families were defining their land. This right. is what is ours. And that was a that was a corruption, right? Mm-hmm. But they understood. It's like, oh, our people. These are the people to which I belong. I am not just an individual who is here, but I am a people. In America, we don't have a people. <laughs> that doesn't exist. We have our families. We have large... And the thing is, in the absence of a family that is good, we oath ourselves to the church. We right. become... Uh, have you read it on my Dr. Hans book, The First Society? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have the notion of like the nuclear family, the domestic family, you have the trustee family, right? Mm-hmm. The trustee family is a nation. What that is. But then what Christ does is that he creates a new family. He creates the church. And that is to which you are a part of. Okay. Yes. Right. yes. So you have like the Augustine city of God, city of man thing. Yes. You may as well say the family of God, the family of man, the the nation of God, the nation of man. 
Like every act of sin is an oathing of yourself to the devil and his family and his fatherhood, which is not fatherhood. Right. So we are not part of the nation, which is America. America is not a nation. Only in a political sense. Maybe in like a political philosophy. Like, yes, you could sure. say that. But properly speaking, that's not what the church was talking about. That's not what the fathers were talking about. They were talking about large extended families. That's the only you're, you're making disciples of those. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why in the early church, you didn't have individual converts. You had families converted. That's why you had the exponential growth of Christianity. The father of the house converted. And all of a sudden, all of his kids, his wife, his servants, everyone was Christian. Right. And yeah, you convert like England exactly yeah. at, the, at the, once. Yeah, it's like, the people. Oh, great. Yeah. Russia is all of a sudden Orthodox. It's like, yep. what happened? It's like, mm. yeah, it is a nation. It is a people. It's an extended family. And it's only in the modern ideas of just nation state and citizenship, exactly. which is this weird kind of exactly. social contract notion exactly. that you have this bastardization of what exactly. really is exactly. extended family. So you take analogy. the babble of nations, which has occurred without Christ, and you make them into one family under Christ, one nation. One extended family. Which is what was intended from the beginning. You yeah. Look like Genesis 10, exactly. the table of nations. Exactly. Yeah. Our Words. father is Abraham. Yeah. 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 But then it's actually weird. So you have the whole idea of universal salvation, right? Like the whole reason that's wholly based off of a misunderstanding of nations. Like if you have, you have the, you have the sheep on one side and you have the goats on the other, right? You have the nation, not the individuals being judged, but you have the nations are families which family are you a part of you have a, the family which is the church or you have the family which is not mm-hmm. that's it so you can have an, a particular like you can go to hell you can go to heaven but it's dependent on which family you're a part of not how great of a sinner you are bring that back to the universal <laughs> salvation stuff so basically the uh, whole idea of universal salvation is that everyone's getting to heaven, essentially. Yeah. Like, just everyone is. We don't have to really worry about it. So is that then the asserting that everyone's already in the right family? Not not necessarily, but everyone will get there. Everyone Everyone will get to the right family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Okay, fair enough. Like, in the most orthodox um, uh, argument for universal salvation, I'd say that they were saying that everyone is going to get there eventually. The most orthodox. Unorthodox would say it doesn't matter. But the thing is, is that it matters which family you're a part of. You're not just accidentally part of a family. That's not true. You are either a family by blood or a family by covenant. Hmm. Either I oath myself to you or I'm born into your family and I don't have a choice. Right. Those are the two options. And so I, I wrote a po- paper a while ago basically arguing that the sin of Adam was an oathing of himself to the devil. Right. Yeah, because yeah, that's what sin is. Like, I think it's John. I'm really bad with quotes. I'm really, really bad with quotes. But you have the father of lies. Father implies that he has sons. Mm-hmm. He's creating a parallel universe apart from Christ. Which universe are you a part of? Which one do you want to participate in? So either you participate in the hierarchy of creation, which is under Christ, Christ's kingship over the entire world, or you participate in satan's antichrist hmm his kingdom his family his nation the right. goats Oof. it's no good yeah it's no good and that's what hell is it's an inversion of heaven the family of the damned yeah the family of the damned the very yeah. disunited yeah it's like an alcoholic family <laughs> <laughs> they hate yeah. each other well, well yeah city of god city of man i mean it's like yeah. primary understanding yeah. of history yeah basic 
Um, yeah, that was my summer reading. Um, not City of God, but uh, very related. Uh, John Milbank. I don't know if you've heard of him. I have heard Theology of him. and Social Theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't read him. Really extended work. It's like yeah. 400 plus pages. And yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. his... His argument is for theology as queen of the sciences. Okay. And, Absolutely. Right. And that theology should not look to sociology or other histories for its primary like understanding of reality. Yeah. That the the main that you va- basically view an ecclesiology as a sociology. That yeah. you understand other societies <clears throat> in their continuity or discontinuity yeah. with the church, which the with the ecclesia, yeah, yeah, yeah. with the city of God. And that you use the Augustinian and the biblical narrative of city, God, city, man dynamic as being that which then allows you to understand the rest of history is because that's your primary historical reading. Yeah. And you shouldn't look to borrow elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. And against the notions of liberation theologians, which basically just take a kind of Marxist, yeah. materialist, utopian view. And also the liberalism one where mm-hmm. the church is kind of this help to... Yeah the rest of what is really just good humanity in this kind of like really mm-hmm. weird natural law sense. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, and it's an expansive work where he really, he takes on all the sociologists from Malbranche mm-hmm. and Durkheim and through Kant and Max Weber. And um, yeah, showing that their accounts are these, yeah, these kind of secularist constructions of, they're taking mostly kind of Protestant theology and then mm-hmm. importing that into their views of yeah. religion. And then further that, uh, that, that Marx and Hegel actually get closest to deconstructing the secular. Like yeah. They actually make those movements, but at the end analysis, like Marx has this materialist utopia, <laughs> Hegel has this kind of like Gnostic yeah. dialectic where like a violence undergone of thesis and uh, antithesis will bring about this mm-hmm. perfect synthesis eventually. And so there's this weird, Christian Gnosticism at work. And then he takes on the post-Nietzscheans, where you have this kind of French school like Foucault and Derrida and Lyotard and Deleuze, who take Nietzsche and then finish the job of deconstructing the secular. And they, mm-hmm. and they just assert it's all just his power, right? Yeah. And all of your constructions of the secular are, you know, are, are ultimately unbased on anything. Yeah. And really, it's just kind of a pagan violence or a pagan virtue um, that needs to be reinitiated. Or you're finding tyrannical violence mm-hmm. as your primary theology. And then, you know, that's like 11 chapters, the majority of the book. And the 12th chapter is just, you know, all the following criti- 11 chapters of criticism have been the prelude to the following assertion. Theology is queen of the sciences. And the one that it's directly out of the biblical worldview and the Augustinian worldview that then um, all other sciences are informed. Yeah. And like it's from revelation and yeah. here's the understanding of all of reality and theology gives us that, but then you can move into philosophy and you can move into an understanding yeah. of history. And... I was actually talking to my brother about this last night. Nice. Yeah. Lucas. Yeah. yeah. Lucas is one of those brilliant guys I've ever met in my entire life. He's way too, way <laughs> too smart. It's ridiculous. But he was, he was talking to Josh Feibelman, another nice. absurdly smart yes. man about one of Milbanks's students. Catherine Bigstock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she asserts that the understanding of metaphysics that the medievals had was based was based in liturgy. Yeah. So in an understanding of the divine that was revealed and that was given. Mm-hmm. So basically that that also assumes that you have the theology which flows from the liturgy informs the philosophy, which informs the sociology, which <laughs> yeah. informs the culture, exactly. which informs the individual yep. life. Yep. 
all found in the liturgy. In the mass, yeah. In the mass, in the liturgy. Called, uh, after writing, yes, um, the yep. liturgical consummation of philosophy. Yep. I have not read it. Josh just bought it. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Like, Lucas has bought it last night. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm buying this. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, yep. I'm interested to see what he thinks. But yeah, yeah. I, it's just like, yeah, it all like, okay, if, if we're religious beings by nature, we're social by nature, and this whole revelation thing is what God wants to know us to know about reality then like yeah then that's mm-hmm. gonna that's gonna affect literally everything there's yeah. nothing untouched yeah like the idea that god forgot to give us something <laughs> yeah. is obscene he it's left obscene. it out yeah, yeah yeah like it's like a good father is not gonna give you stones or snake he's gonna give you a loaf of bread and teach you how to bake mm. he's not gonna forget and if he does forget he's a bad father so either god is a bad father or he gave us everything we need and he didn't give us a metaphysics. He gave us Christ. <laughs> That's all we need. Who is the metaphysics? Yeah. 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 All we need. Yeah. The Kellen and Alec show. It's seven now, so we probably should. Dude. But John Mark, this has been, I can't believe we haven't talked for, you know, like yeah. a while now, like seriously. Cause yeah, it's, yeah. I was just sitting here and you were saying a number of things and I was just like, what in the world? <laughs> it's just like the perfect way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Thank this you. has been a blast. A real for pleasure. For sure, for sure. Yeah, Thank you so much have for having another me podcast on. Absolutely. Just, just invite me. Again. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I'll have you over for a beer sometime. I'd love it. Yeah, yeah that's great. Go cool. wrap it up for us. Kellen and Alex show. We'll uh, see you guys next time. If there's a Christian religion, then it's Catholicism or nothing. What politics actually is, art of people living together, orienting one another towards virtue. And the person was like, dude, flirting is the abortion of love. This is the most worthy, most exciting, most adventurous. Drop a nuke uh, on the Franciscan bubble. The Kellen and Alex Show. God could have stopped it if he Permissive will. That's right. <laughs> I don't know why God would allow something like that to go through. But then again, God allows God allows you to go to... on and on. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Truth, okay. <laughs>